hey, it's Seeking Plum. So I knew the power of stories, and the ones we tell ourselves to those we tell each other, and even the ones we collectively believe in. But I hadn't thought about them in this way. You may know that I'm reading the book Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. As he's progressing through time, he talks about the cognitive revolution. And at this point is when language came to be, when we started telling stories. More specifically, being able to talk about things that don't exist. That it wasn't just language, but it was this ability to tell stories that helps to unite us, then and now. He says this is when legends, gods, myths, and religions came to be for the first time. They united us. But then he starts talking about some other stories that we've told and that we all buy into. Some of these he mentioned and some I'm adding in. But for instance, the borders around a state or a country, those are not tangible. They're not things that exist. They're simply made up. Yet we all believe and accept that these imaginary lines represent something. He talked about businesses and even limited liability, things like that. They don't technically exist. Sure, a business owns things, but if those were all taken away, the business would still exist, could still build from the ground up again, even if the person who owns it no longer lives. Another sort of story that we've bought into is the idea of paper money. We believe that it's backed by, or it was backed by gold, that this idea made the piece of paper worth something. Without this belief, without this story, we could not function as a society. A recent story that we're beginning to buy into is Bitcoin, that these ones and zeros actually have value and that we can spend them. Here's an interesting quote for you. Harari writes, telling effective stories is not easy. The difficulty lies not in telling the story, but in convincing everyone else to believe it. Much of history revolves around this question. How does one convince millions of people to believe particular stories about gods or nations or limited liability companies? Yet when it succeeds, it gives sapiens immense power because it enables millions of strangers to cooperate and work towards common goals. Just try to imagine how difficult it would have been to create states or churches or legal systems if we could speak only about the things that really exist, such as rivers, trees, and lions. Then he says, people have woven an incredibly complex network of stories. The kind of kinds of things that people create through this network of stories are known in academic circles as fictions, social constructs, or imagined realities. He says, an imagined reality is not a lie. Unlike lying, an imagined reality is something that everyone believes in, and as long as this communal belief persists, the imagined reality exerts force in the world. I went back to a part of the quote from earlier. The difficulty lies not in telling the story, but in convincing everyone else to believe it. And how do you make that happen? How do you create such a story? I don't think there's just one answer to this, because I think some stories we believe because we want to, and others are born out of necessity. I also think that over time, stories change, they morph. Some do anyway. I also think that as we grow and change as humans, some of those stories change in whether they need to be as important anymore. 
I'm thinking of things like society's ethics or certain laws. There are some that simply no longer exist today because things have changed so much. They may still be on the books, but we don't follow them anymore because they're irrelevant. I recently watched an episode of Jimmy Kimmel from a few days ago, and he had one of his segments called Lie Witness News, where he asks questions of people on the street about something that did not happen, but they tend to lie whether they engaged or saw it or not. What struck me about this particular segment was that all of the people seemed to think there was an appropriate way to answer. They weren't interviewed at the same time. Individually, they all answered in the same vein, being outraged when they thought they should be, worrying about being offensive in the next breath. There are so many stories that we buy into that we don't even realize we're doing it. But how does that happen, and why? When it comes to those on Kimmel's segment, Lie Witness News, I think it comes down to wanting to belong, to be accepted. And I don't just mean on camera. The fact that these were the standard responses by everyone means it's an underlying thing that we've bought into. I'm not saying that's good or bad, it's just what's happened or happening. Maybe the reason it's so difficult to come up with a story that everyone buys into is because there are so many reasons that we do buy into them and so many different types of stories. As an example, why do I sometimes buy into the shit I tell myself and other times I don't buy into it at all? Things like laws and ethics make it so that we can coexist in society. But individually, our morality might be different. Decades ago, the narrative that we bought into was that women stay at home and take care of kids, and the man is the breadwinner. There were certain aspects of life that were just accepted, because that's how you fit in. How to behave in society, it's not like religion or laws. They're complex stories that change over time, because life is different now. Not 100%, but it has changed. And even listening to those people on Kimmel, they have an idea of what is accepted and what's not accepted. I'm sort of all over, but the idea that there are so many different kinds of narratives and stories that we buy into, things we tell, and yet they have such power to unite us for good and bad. Part of me wants to figure out how these stories affect us so, like why we buy into them and why we don't. And the other part of me wants to figure out how to create one, one that people believe in or accept. And when I say that, I haven't thought it all the way through, so I don't even know what kind of story I'm talking about. It's just interesting to me how some stories can come and go in a blink of an eye, and others can last not only decades, but hundreds of years, and some never get off the ground. I have no doubt that I'm going to do a lot more reflecting on this. Hey, Rhonda. Um, yeah, this part about stories was kind of the part of the book that most of the people I heard him talking to on interviews sort of focused on. Um, probably because the people that I listen to are kind of um, focused on storytelling. But yeah, I think there's another book, not that you need another book to read, um, <laughs> but there's another book called Masters of the Word by William Bernstein that sort of has another 
that dives deeper into this aspect of like human history and and stuff that would be a, a good companion would you ever get done but it but it is fascinating the the degree to which we are ruled by the stories that we tell and believe hi jared every time i hear rhonda it makes me smile <laughs> um thank you for this book recommendation because these were some of the things that I was pondering on. I was curious about how how language completely must have changed when it became written. So Masters of the Word sounds like it would be perfect. And I read the little description of the book and I've added it to my list that is ever growing. And uh, yes, I, I am interested. Thank you very much. And what I also liked is that it seems like he talks about it not just from when language or when writing began, but through, you know, now on the internet. Because that was also something I was curious about, like how much more, more people we can reach and how we can be unified over the internet. Something that Harari does talk about is the power of gossip and I was always brought up to see gossip as such a negative horrible thing but it helped to bring about such a different way of communicating and understanding each other and even today like if you look at social media whether it's Facebook or Twitter or anything like that there are these not only groups smaller groups larger groups but then as the globe as a whole where we can just see how gossip affects everything you know our outlook on things how we perceive individuals or situations so I'm curious to read about this path you know from the written language through the internet and and even like then to ponder where it could go from there I mean we can look at radio and then TV and now and now what's next and I know that this can't be answered, but when will that new, radically new type of communication come about? Anyway, thank you. I, I've, like I said, I've added it to my list, and now uh, I don't know when I'm going to get to it, but I'm definitely curious, and I am very appreciative that you mentioned it. Thanks, Jared.